Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. The proposed Dying with Dignity Bill falls short in ensuring the protection of the right to life, and this is according to the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission. Uh, in a written submission to the Oireachtas Justice Committee, uh, which is considering the legislation, I think today actually, the group argues that the bill will need to be substantially revised from its current draft if it is to properly account for the wishes of all people who want to end their life. And the Commission has also urged TDs to ensure that robust and adequate safeguards are in place to ensure that particular groups, including disabled people, people with life-limiting illnesses and older people, are not at risk of being exploited through the bill. The Dying with Dignity Bill, which would permit terminally ill people to avail of medical assistance to die in certain circumstances, was voted into committee stage in the Dáil last year, and it goes before the Arctic Justice Committee today. The Arctic Justice Committee is currently considering submissions on the proposed legislation from individuals and groups. In its submission... The IH or EC tells TDs that any law which allows for the assisted dying must be guided by a human rights model of uh, disability and follow extensive consultation with all at-risk groups. And the Commission also calls for the legislation to expressly state that no person should qualify for medical assistance to die solely on the grounds of their disability or age. It says that the bill should be amended to include a maximum threshold in relation to how soon a person's likelihood of dying is. For example, six months. In other words, if a doctor says to somebody you're terminally ill, that means they could live for 20 years. Being terminally ill doesn't define how long you live for, but they're saying in the bill it should be qualified as, say, six months. In other words, that a person must be really on their last legs. Uh, the IHREC further suggests that certain categories of people should be prevented from being a witness to a person's stated desire to die, such as relatives and those who are responsible for providing care to the person concerned. And it says the proposed law should be changed to provide for the establishment of an independent oversight mechanism which could review and affirm a person's stated declaration to their desire to end their own life. And of course, they must be of sound mind. Now, I'm going to speak to Philip Nishka uh, in a couple of minutes. And uh, Philip is the... Uh, founder of Exit International and became the first doctor in the world to administer a legal, lethal, voluntary injection under the short-lived rights of the Terminal Ill Act 1995. But before I do, I want to get your thoughts on assisting somebody to die, which is currently illegal in this country. Many people think of Dignitas, of course, in Switzerland and places like that and other countries around Europe where it is legal. But what do you think? Now, I understand asking the question will have a polarising effect, but we have all seen somebody suffer unfairly due to a long-term illness. We've all been at the bedside of somebody who's gasped for breath, and you almost say, God, will somebody put a pillow over their head? And I don't mean that in a bad way, but to put them out of their misery. We would do it to a dog, and that's the argument. The argument against, of course, the Dying with Dignity Bill, or the argument against assisted suicide is that it will be exploited, and it diminishes and demeans the elderly. And it makes their lives less, less valuable, according to some people. So, should euthanasia, or assisted suicide, whatever word you're comfortable using, should it be legalised in Ireland? That's the question I'm asking today. Do you believe it should be legalised? Should somebody who has a long-term illness and a terminal illness be allowed to be assisted by a professional medic, i.e. a doctor, to die? And assisted in that way, in that fashion. Let me know what you think. The number is 087-188-0008. That's 087-188-0008. Which side of the fence are you on? Now, let me go to Dr. Philip Nishka. Uh, Philip, good afternoon to you. 
Good afternoon. Uh, well, I know it's not afternoon where you are. You're in Australia at the moment, probably the middle of the, probably the, middle of the no, night. No, 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 I, no, no. I'm in, I'm in Amsterdam, so it's, it's, it's very much the same time as you. It's just uh, a little hour later. All right, okay. Philip, I mean, you're famous for many reasons, not only being the first doctor to obviously be involved and, and to obviously the, the founder of Exit International, but you're also famous here in Ireland for having the most complaints on the Late Late Show um, because you, you appeared many years ago when I suppose debate was stifled quite a lot when we talked about these things. And, you know, a lot of people from Catholic Ireland would have complained about your very existence and the very idea of assisting somebody to die. But do you understand their fears? Well, I know that we've had some difficulty when we've travelled to Ireland. We've done it several times in getting a venue where we can hold a meeting. I think Ireland, in fact, Dublin holds the record of being the place where we've had most cancellations, one after the other. So, yes, we're sort of aware of the rather specific circumstances that would exist in that country, in your country. Uh, But I do agree that it does need to be something done about the situation for people who want help to die. And the situation you've currently got there with no legislation is pretty unsatisfactory. And a trail of people, of course, head over to Switzerland, where they see that they have a rather more civilised, civilised piece of legislation which allows Irish people to get the help that they need. Now, surely you don't have to do that. And surely Ireland's in a position to pass some legislation to, 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 to allow that process to take place mm. in your own country. And, and I know you, you've mentioned that you've had more cancelled events in Ireland than anywhere else, I, probably because Ireland, of course, is a Catholic country. Now, of course, religion is not as much of a part of our lives as it would have been going back 20 years ago. But in saying that, there is this kind of theory out there by people who practice their religion, and quite a large percentage of people in this country, that the only person that gives the right to do that is God. And he's the one, in other words, you die when you die, and you leave it up to the, in the hands of God, and that nobody should assist you to go any, to, you know, to do that any quicker. Yes, I'm, I'm aware of that, uh, that argument, and I can respect people who have that view, and I think they should comply with their own thoughts and beliefs. What I don't agree with, though, is that they should uh, force their views down uh, down my throat. I, I don't believe that myself, uh, and uh, and I would like them to respect the fact that I and I imagine a great number of Irish people feel that they should be the person to make this decision about when their life has become so burdensome uh, that the time has come when they would like to put a compassionate end to it. I mean, we would. Well, they're they're saying that we don't need a referendum. Some people believe that it will be challenged uh, because it will go against the constitution. But that will re- remain to be seen when the legislation goes through. Um, but in saying that, they're saying the legislation is too diluted. In other words, there's no maximum time on the likelihood of a person's death. This is an interesting point. In other words, if you go to a doctor and he says you're terminally ill, that could mean you're going to die tomorrow or it could mean you're going to die in 20 years. It depends on the person. I know people who've got terminally ill diagnosed and live for 15 or 20 years. But they're saying in the legislation that this should be uh, the likelihood of dying for, say, put a qualified time in of six months. Would you agree with that? No, I look at it's very difficult. I mean, one thing you do learn when you're involved with people that are seriously ill is that trying to predict the time which a person is going to die under so-called natural circumstances is almost impossible. Your, your phone line is just coming and going slightly, Philip. Maybe if you could move the phone just a little bit. Sorry. Yes, yeah, so I, I find certainly it, it's very hard to try and determine when a person is going to die. The idea of defining someone as terminal and then having to give a time limit on that uh, on that definition is almost impossible. So 
It's yeah, but if you get, but if they thing. got what they said and they're stating that wording should be something along the lines of reasonable medical judgment of uh, you know the likelihood of a person dying within a six month period. In other words, if you got two doctors and said this person has you know terminal cancer and yes, they're not going to survive more than six months. Well, then, but if somebody said if a doctor turns as well, they could last six months. They could last six years. I don't know. That's still a terminal diagnosis. So should that person be allowed to have assisted suicide? Well, look, yes, because I'm not, I'm not in favour ourselves. And the model that we propose, we propose a model which is somewhat similar to the Swiss model where they don't set out to try and define uh, a person as terminal and try and give some sort of quantification to the time they're likely to live. I mean, the Swiss model doesn't do that, and I think it should be looked at closely. Uh, it's not part of your model that's been considered in Ireland. You're going to try and stick to this idea of terminal illness, and that's very difficult. And I think you will find a lot of people contesting this, and as you've said, People who, who will claim that they should be eligible when others will say they're not. It'll be left up to a panel of doctors to make the decision. It won't be a right to die from the person who's suffering. It'll simply be a right for the person who's suffering to ask a question. I call it begging grovel laws because you'll have sick people begging groveling, saying, please help me. And you say, sorry, you're not eligible. You're not sick enough to qualify. Now, that's not happening in Switzerland. Do you, do you think that a assisted death or assisted suicide or euthanasia, whatever word people are comfortable using, do you believe it devalues life somewhat? Because people, the argument, there's an argument out there that elderly people, for example, particularly those who would be frail or those who would be cared for, would feel their life isn't worth living, that all of a sudden we've devalued life to only the healthier, really, the, the, the ones worth living anymore. No, I think it's almost the opposite of that. The, the fact that if you actually start taking notice of a person, when they say, look, I've had enough and now is the time I wish to die, that actually values or gives some credibility to their thoughts. To simply say, I'm sorry, you can't even ask that question or make that statement. That devalues a person. We often get the argument that, look, if we pass that legislation, you'll have avaricious children forcing their ageing parents to go down this path and do the right thing and end their lives and perhaps hand over the inheritance. Mm. But what I find more and more in the situation where I meet with elderly people quite often, they say, look, it's my daughter or my son who's urging me to have another round of chemotherapy. They're urging me to keep fighting the cancer, mum. And what I say is, please just let me go. So in a sense, by not allowing them to even consider this option, that's what devalues people, not the opportunity that they might have with a piece of well-crafted legislation to have their, their wishes respected. I mean, do, do you think as well there should be any conditions to assisted suicide? Like, I'm a very healthy person, I think, 57 years of age, um, and suicide is not illegal, although it was in this country at one point. Um, I don't know how they legislated for that. But anyway, um, should I be able to go to Philip Nishka, for example, if Philip was, of course, still practicing, which I know you're not anymore, but, if, but I mean, you did for many, many years, and you assisted people to die as well for many, many years. Should I be able to go to Philip Nishka or to an organization as a healthy person and say, Listen, I, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm, I'm out the gap here. You know, can you help me out? Well, of course, our, our personal view of our organisation is that, yes, you should. I, we see this in the broadest possible terms. That this is a human right. This is not a privilege for the sick. This is a human right. That if you're a rational person, an adult, like you clearly are, uh, and you come along and say, I would like to be able to get the means for a peaceful death, you should have that means provided. That's our position. You've got to be of sound mind. You've got to be an adult. But, but I wouldn't really be, but Philip, I wouldn't really be of sound mind. If I was 57 and wanted to die, I'm not. I'm clearly not of sound mind, am I? Well, hang on. No, 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 no. We get a lot of people with good social reasons. They're not sick. Social reasons for wanting to end their lives. Perhaps the most common example that we see in Switzerland 
is when couples come along, one person is very sick and the other person, that is a couple that they've shared their life with for the last 50 years, says, I want to die when they die. So we allow in Switzerland that person's wish to die to be considered. Would, it, would, it, not be, would it not be better that we had, you know, uh, counsellors and psychologists to talk to these people and say, well, okay, your wife is very sick, you know, she wants to die, and th- that's fair enough, but you're a perfectly healthy person. You know, you, you'll be, even if you're religious, you'll, you'll go and meet her at the party gates at some point, but look, you have another 20, 30 years in your life, it's well worth living and talk to that person, because clearly they're suffering from depression, uh, the, the, the consideration of the loss of their loved one. Well, I don't know. They've, they've been often counseled, I wouldn't say counseled to death, but what happens, of course, when you do see a situation with couples is that there's such a concern over their decision that people go out of their way to try and make the person who's not sick and who wishes to die with their partner feel valued, as you're suggesting. But sometimes counselling can't do that. They've got this belief. That's what they want. They want their wishes respected. I think the wishes should be respected. Mm. It's a situation where people... Where people uh, who are of sound mind, rational and not sick, should have this option. And that's not going to be obviously considered under this new Irish model. I mean, in, in your years, uh, and I know you've been around for a long time, since 1995 or so, I mean, how many people have you, have you assisted to die? Well, what we do now, of course, is give people the means or tell them about how they can obtain the information, yes. Which, which, by the way, is currently illegal in this country to even give people information on it or to assist somebody to to book a flight even to Switzerland is illegal. Yes, of course, we did watch with great uh, concern over Gail O'Rourke's... That's right, we've had Gail on the show many times, yeah, yeah. Yes, well, I mean, that was just bizarre and got global attention. We thought, good heavens, simply going and finding, trying to help someone get a ticket to go to a country which has compassionate legislation is considered to be an Irish crime. So I was a bit taken aback by that. But uh, yes, well, I mean, giving people good information, that means they can get the best drugs and then they can take the step themselves. But, so many, many, but, but Philip, how many people have you actually assisted in your, in your years? Well, Personally. If you call that assisting, I mean, giving people the information and getting the drugs, it's thousands. Making sure they've got the correct drugs, I suppose it's hundreds. Actually sitting there and giving them an injection to end their lives. Well, that only t- took place under the legislation, which was the world's first back in uh, 1996. Darwin, Australia. Yeah, back in 1996, yeah. and that was that was overturned in 1997, I think, wasn't it? Yes, it didn't. So you only really long, got a year out of that. But it, but mind you, in that year, did, did did you see many patients in that in that year? Look, there was only the five. Uh, two two travelled in from other states of Australia. Two were local, but uh, it caused huge controversy. It was the world's first law, and it only lasted a short time before the federal government of Australia got so nervous and anxious that they overturned it. Yeah, and I, and I know back in 2014, the Australian Medical Board suspended your medical registration, and on, in July 2015, the Supreme Court found the board's decision to be unlawful and immediately restored it, to which then you decided you'd set it on fire. Sorry, you burned it. Well, so yeah, you made a personal choice. Uh, to, to re, to well, re- yeah, the condition, the condition that the medical board says you cannot publish a book which gives information so people can have choice. This is the book, The Peaceful the Pill, of course, yeah. Yeah, that was the one step too far. I mean, effectively said, you can be a doctor, but you cannot write that book. Uh, and that book became, had become, by that stage, the bestseller on how you can take this step and peacefully, reliably end your life. So I thought that was a bit over the top for the medical board. Uh, and I thought I'd rather not be a doctor if that was one of the conditions. And, and in the book, The Peaceful Pill, of course, is, which is, I suppose, giving people advice somewhat, or uh, it's almost like counselling, I suppose, and how people can end their life peacefully. 
we do that already, don't we, to some degree, because we have hospices, um, you know, and we have hospice care, and people who have terminal illness, I mean, they're given the best of medications, they're given the best, and realistically, when we up the dose of morphine when somebody's dying of cancer in hospital, we are essentially assisting their death. Yeah, that's true, but it's not usually the patient who's determining whether that happens. It's usually determined by other people. And this is the point. If you want control and you want to make that decision yourself, you've got to make sure that you're running the show. And to run the show, you really have to be, I would say, making sure you've got access to the best drugs yourself. So going into a hospice, seriously, or perhaps, and hoping that some compassionate person will up the morphine until you die, might work, and often does, of course, but you're not in control. You're really just a person who might get lucky. All right, well, look, I, I'm, I, this is, as I said, this is going before the Oireachtas Justice Committee and they're asking for changes in the legislation, which I'm sure you're not very happy about to hear those changes that they want to put in. <laughs> and these, and they want to dilute it down a little bit. Um, and I, I think this will probably take about another six months to a year anyway before it comes to that. I'm curious if they did have a referendum uh, in relation to it. I don't know whether they have to have a referendum because it may be challenged. Um, how many Irish people would would vote for what you would like uh, or what the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission would like, which is a watered-down version of your of your theory. But it would be interesting to see. Uh, listen, Philip, thank you very much indeed, and I appreciate you coming on the air. Yeah, thanks a lot. It was good. Uh, there you go, Philip Nishka, uh, who is the uh, founder of Exit International, and on the line is Maliki as well, Maliki Steenson, solicitor. Maliki, I mean, this has gone before the Oireachtas Justice Committee. The Human Rights and Equality Commission have warned that there is no safeguards in this legislation. Uh, you're obviously opposed to it. I'm totally opposed, but, but I would take issue with your argument that this is some kind of a religious argument. It's not. No matter what religion people belong to, they, in general, believe in the sanctity of human life and they believe that people should have as good a life as possible. And that generally means that you don't put down somebody who is no longer a benefit to society. I didn't say it was I mean, strictly a religious argument. I did say that in Ireland, no, because, it was a Catholic, because it was a Catholic country, I, I mentioned to Philip Nishka that when he was on the Late Late Show, they had the most amount of complaints they'd ever received for one guest. Uh, and that well, was because at the time, that was kind of 15, 20 years ago, we were living in a country that would have been a lot more religious. And religious people do believe God is the only one who has the right to take life. Well, no, I would say that, that almost every human being on this planet believes in human life, regardless Absolutely. of whether that... Absolutely. The preservation of human life. Yes, the preservation of human nothing, life. nothing to do with religion. And my, my views are not formed by religion. I believe it's wrong to kill a child before it's born. And I believe it's wrong to kill an old man or woman when they're coming to the end of their day. But well, you're, yeah, but, you're, 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 but hang on, hang on. You're, I, I don't think you're comparing like with like, because what you're saying to me is to kill somebody. And I completely, I completely agree with you. But if that person uh, who's elderly or frail or has a terminal illness, if they make a conscious decision, and I'm saying a conscious decision in sound mind, that they no longer want to live, well, then you're not killing them. You're just assisting them in, in their wishes. Okay, then, Niall, why do we spend tens of millions every year? Why do we fund Peter House, for instance? And tell them because they're, because they're people who shouldn't be in that position. Well, well, they're people, arguably somebody sitting in a nursing home today shouldn't be in the position they're in. And we have sacrificed in the past year, and I'm sure you will agree, half of the people who've died from COVID have died in nursing homes because we abandoned them there and we effectively killed them. When you say we killed them, you believe, you believe that people in nursing homes have been neglected? They were abandoned. I mean, how many times have we been told that we have them all vaccinated by whenever? And that keeps moving. Even if you accept that the vaccine's going to stop ending. 
Okay, well, I, 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 okay, I don't want to. I don't want to go down the COVID route today. And, and but getting getting back to this, it's all related, Noel, because what it says is do you, that some do, people's lives are more valuable. Okay, but well, that was the question I was going to ask. Do you believe it devalues right? human life? Of course it does. If I say to you, Noel, that I want to get rid of you, and even you see, now, yeah, and then, see, you now you're tweeting. No, no, hold on. You're using different language here. Nobody under any circumstances, under any bill, is going to turn around and say it's grand if Mary wants to get rid of her mother. That's not the way it works. That's not the way assisted suicide works. Mary's mother no. has to feel that she doesn't want to be here anymore. And what is the biggest problem now? And Mary's mother has to be quite ill. What is the problem? No, that, that will change over time. It's the same argument in relation to abortion. It will only be for those who will have severe deformities or severe mental problems and won't have a quality of life that everybody else wants. And then it moves into, oh, you won't have blue eyes or we just don't want you. Now, the reality is that currently, particularly, old people are being told continually, Stay in your house. Don't go out. Don't have your grandchildren visit you. Don't have your children visit you. Don't go outside the door because you're going to be knocked on the ground by this virus. They've been told your life is actually of no value to anybody. That's, not, that's not what they're being told. On. That's not what they're being told, Maliki. They're being told everything else that you said at the start, but nobody is suggesting people's lives are not valuable. What they're saying is that you're more at risk. What they're saying is, and what they have done, Niles, judging by their actions, all people who went into hospitals were dumped in there and were given no treatment, right? That happened in some cases, yeah. People, and, the, yes, and what the belief that old people have now is that their lives are of no value to anybody. So why should they bother... Okay, but when, when you say right? their lives are of no value, do you agree that there's a value in life at all? Of course there is. Okay, so so uh, okay, yeah, okay. When okay, when you see, let me let me we talk this rationally and logically and honestly. When we see somebody that's a hundred years of age and who has pneumonia and they're in hospital, and then you see somebody who's twenty five years of age and they come into hospital after a road accident, and there's only one ICU bed. I'm not saying this will ever happen, and I hope it never does. But there's only one ICU bed. Whose life in that? particular circumstance has more value because obviously they have more quality of life left in their life. Well, firstly, it is happening today in hospitals in Ireland that those value judgments are being made. Triage, triage. And by the way, 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 in in some circumstances, that's always happened. That's an argument for saying that we should have a better healthcare system. And all of the the problems that we, we have in relation to health is because we have a totally dysfunctional... No, you, you haven't answered my question, but... Because you said you're, you're kind of indicating there's no value in life. There's always been a value in life. And we, we consider that value ourselves. As we get older, I've talked to James, who's a lovely caller, one of the most wonderful callers I have on the show, and he'll come on the air and openly and honestly say, I've had a good life, you know, and I, I'd like to see young people continue to have a good life. You know, and he doesn't mind if he has to go soon. And, no, and, I, and I don't want to see James go, and he's a lovely man. But, I'm, but people automatically value their lives anyway. Yes, but that's a different thing to somebody else valuing it. And what will happen here is that the state will value it. And they'll say, I mean, people are today praising the, the, the captain in, in England who died at 101, ah. apparently from COVID. But was his life last year not valuable? Well, you know, no, I, I, I don't want to get into um, uh, Captain Moore because a wonderful man has had a wonderful 
life. Uh, he got a knighthood. He did wonderful work during the year, raised €40 million. Euro. I, 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 equally as you are, I would be annoyed at the papers using sensational stories that he battled COVID. He didn't battle COVID. He had pneumonia. He was 101. And he was, but nearly, nearly 101. Nearly 101. Yeah. So, and, he, he, and his family had said he had been sick for a while. I understand. Yeah, and, and, and by the way, game. we have to accept logically that people die. To get to 100 years of age, by the way, you have a 0.17 chance to get to 100, 100 years of age. So it's probably not going to happen to most of us. Yeah, so, and every week you live at that age is uh, a week that you oh, probably And you know what we would have said last year? If Mr. Moore had died this time last year, we would have said, we would have smiled at the thoughts of his death. And I don't mean this in a bad way and said, what a wonderful life he had. Yeah. You know, and we would have been happy to see a peaceful exit from this world at 100 years of age. Wouldn't, that, wouldn't we all live to see 100 years of age? And I, I don't want to get into that. It's a, it's a bigger story anyway. Uh, but stay there, Maliki, for a second, because I, I need to go into a break. I want to ask you what you think of this dying with dignity bill. And as I said, the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission has warned that there needs to be a few loopholes thrown in here. In other words, that it has to be, uh, for example, a likelihood of dying within six months and there has to be reasonable medical judgment. In other words, you have to go and see a few doctors who are convinced you're going to die. Maliki disagrees with it in all forms. But maybe you've had a relative or somebody who's had a terminal illness and they've been lying in a hospital bed for months with no quality of life gasping for breath, knowing they were going to die. Here's a question. If you were sitting beside them in the bed and you would never get into trouble for it, you would never be caught, and they said to you, there's two tablets over there and a glass of water. I can't do it because I can't move anymore because I'm, in, I'm incapacitated. And I'm, I'm dying. I'm in pain. If you love me, will you pass me that glass of water and two tablets so I can die with dignity? And just pour the water into me mouth and put the two tablets in for me, please. If it was your mama, your dad, or your brother, or your sister. And they were dying, and you had no doubt about that. Would you do it? Would you assist them, and would you help somebody to die? If you knew, it's a theoretical question, philosophical, so to speak, that you'd never be caught. Let me know what you think. The number is 087 Stay there, Maliki, for a second. Eilish, you're on Classic Kids. How are you doing, Eilish? Hello, Niall. How are you? I'm good. How are you keeping today, all right? I'm very well. I'm just heading up the road for my shopping. We're on lockdown. Oh, you're on your necessary journey, are you? Pardon? On your necessary journey. It's more for a walk than anything, a bit of fresh air. Oh, she needs it, she needs it. Well, I mean, um, Eilish, what, what do you think of this? I mean, look, obviously a lot of people have an opinion on whether we should have the right to be allowed to die with assistance. Do you believe that we should have the right to be allowed to die with assistance? Well, it's a personal thing for everyone, I think, Niall, OK? But like I said in my text there, OK, you can see what, what the text held. Um, in 2002... Um, uh, called Halloween night. My sister, she was a psychiatric nurse to you, and um, she was only 47 at the time. And she had a massive bleed to her brain. Okay? She had, she had no. a what? Sorry, your line is very bad. What, she had a what? Sorry, pre- I, I'm out in the... Oh, it's just very hard to hear you because the wind is blowing you know constantly I go your phone. back in home. One oh, second. Okay, okay. I okay. go back in home so it, it's easy for you to hear me. Okay, it's but, very difficult so, to hear. But go on. Previous to that, okay, she she got a headache. She went to the doctor, okay, and she was sent into. I'm from County Kerry originally, but I'm living in Washington at the moment, yeah. you know. Yeah. And um, she was sent into the general, and like they kind of lost. What would I say? They were saying, "Is it down to the flowers around the face? Is it headache and all that rubbish?" You know. But anyway. I don't want to knock the um, very general at all by any manner of means, but 
and she okay, okay, that's fine. Okay, I, I, I just need to get to. I, I understand that you're giving us a bit of background there, and I get it. But she ended up obviously in a situation where she was extremely ill. Okay, I tell you what, I'll come back to you in a second because I, I, I'll actually try and clear up your line there because it's very, very difficult to hear you. Bernie, you're on Classic Kids. How are you doing, Bernie? Hi, how are you today? I, I'm just interested to hear the end of that story, but unfortunately we couldn't hear very much. But sorry, Bernie, you, you, you disagree with Maliki or do you disagree with him? Do you believe the terminally ill people should uh, be allowed to be assisted to die if they want to? Well, just from my nursing background, as long as I can, can base it on... Um you know, we've, we've obviously nursed people into terminal Ill stages where they've been told there's nothing else they can do surgically or chemotherapy or radiotherapy isn't going to work anymore. So then the pain, you know, the pain begins to get intense and, you know, you're watching them in the bed. So the pain relief is the hospice care and the, you know, oncology team try and work a, a nice uh, drug that they can take to maintain their independence and dignity right up to the end. Mm-hmm. And... Um, the only person I, I ever saw it didn't work for was a lady who was 34 and she was screaming and no matter what drugs they gave her, she kept screaming, please don't take me, God, I have small children. I want to live, I want oh. to live. And it was... But, uh, but Bernie, I, I, I've, I've been, I've witnessed the death of two or three people probably in hospital over the last, I don't know, 20 years. And some of them, I, I find it quite painful to watch somebody dying. Um, particularly somebody who you know they're going to die and they have, I don't know, the, the, the doctors and nurses will say, look, you, you need to have the family there. They're, it's not going to last much longer in the next 24 hours. And they're gasping for breath and they're, <gasps> and they're shouting. And I know there has to be an easier way of doing this. Well, anyone I've spoke, you know, that I've nursed in, in this, in this, at this end of their life have always, always been so dignified. Mm-hmm. They, you know, the pain, you could see it across their faces. Will I get you more pain relief? Do you want to turn you a certain way? No, no, it's okay. And they would wait patiently for the end to come themselves. Yeah. They never wanted me as a nurse to step in. Or they'd ask you for the truthful answer. You know, they'd look into your eyes and they'd say, am I dying? And that was really difficult as a nurse to kind of... to to. to and what would you not, say to somebody when they said that to you? I'd say to them, what do you think yourself? And they'd mm. know by my eyes because I'd start crying. I'm a hopeless yeah. Thank you for your honesty. Do you know? Yeah. And that was it. And, and look, I know, I know we essentially do assist people to die in some sense, we, you know, because obviously we use morphine and we increase yeah. the dose of morphine and everybody knows what that does. It break, The yeah. organs start to fail one by one. So, <laughs> you know, so I, I suppose the pain relief, we have a trade-off between pain relief and there's no way you could survive that amount of morphine. It's essentially an overdose of morphine. No. And we, we get that. But in saying that, it, let's say, for example, you know, I'm diagnosed with something terminal, touch wood, uh, I'm not, but I'm di- and I'm told by a doctor, you have four months to live. And I decide, as a person, I don't want to go through the next four months. The doctor said, there's no point in chemotherapy, sorry, it's gone too far. I don't want to go to the next four months. Should I have the right to go into Bernie or into a hospital or a medical care centre and say, all right, just do it now, just give me two tablets there and a glass of water, sure, and I'll be gone? Well, that is, that is your decision and your decision alone. But should I have the right? I, I yeah, but that, that's what I'm saying. Should I have the yeah. right to do that? Um, I, I really can't answer that. I'm no, not, not sure, Niall, to be honest. If it was me, maybe I would like to be able to take tablets so it wouldn't be a burden to my family. But that's my decision alone. I wouldn't expect anyone else to make it for me. That, but, exactly. No, I, I, and when we come to assisted suicide or dying with dignity, and this bill, it has to be your decision and it has to be a conscious uh, decision. Yeah, like, I, I, I can only go on my husband. He was 62, and uh, he had COPD and emphysema in a terrible end stage. 
and he was in and out of the frequent flyer in the hospital, as they call them, you know, where he was in every other week, he'd fall. And they started putting on the tablets, the oxy, oxycontin, and then the oromorph suspension. And he was taking that with his nebulizers and his oxygen, which he was on continuously. And he, you know, gradually became more and more unwell. And he still managed to maintain his independence and try to live himself by himself and, you know, do the best he could for himself. But he did, two weeks before he died, he signed a DNR. Yeah. Now, he would have been healthy to look at. You know, outwardly, <coughs> he had obviously bloated from certain steroids and the oromorph um, and all the medication that he started him. And two days before he passed away, they came to me and, they, you know, they said to him and myself, they said, would, would you mind if we go on the pump? Because he's just to get asking for oromorph every yeah. two hours. He was getting more and more agitated and getting more and more breathless. His colour was really good, bad. And, um, you know, I said, you, you know, he said, oh, I signed the DNR. And I said, that's OK. So then they decided to move him to the hospital. Um, but on the day they went going to the hospital, he, he died suddenly. Oh. You know, he literally died I'm of a heart attack. Yeah. Oh, I mean, Maliki, are you still there? Sorry, Maliki. I am, yeah, I'm still uh, here now. Okay, you've been listening to Bernie there, you know, and although, you know, she obviously wouldn't advocate this, she does believe it's everybody's decision. In her case, or obviously the case for ex-husband as well, and the, and the patients that she dealt with, she didn't advocate it, but she does believe in some sense it's everybody's personal decision. Yes, but you see, these people are not looking for a personal decision. What they're looking for is for society, for me and you, to say that it's okay. That's why they want legislation to enable this. So they want society to say that it's okay to put down people when somebody mm, else... Yeah, there was, no, but see, this, this is the same argument we had when it came to abortion. We used the, You were on the air as pro-life using the word murder, right? Yeah. And now you're saying, you're doing, using this language again to put down people. I mean, that's, that, that's how we talk about a dog, by the way. We put them to sleep or put them down. Well, I mean, you had yesterday on, on your program whether um, animals should have higher quality of, of, of life than, than humans. Um, we decide for a dog. We make the decision for the dog. That yeah. wouldn't be the way it would be with a human being, obviously, Matt. It, it will be. It will be. The same as the unborn child doesn't make a decision for itself. Somebody else makes that decision. Well, do, well, do me a favour. Stay there. Let me go back to Eilish as well because I think I've got her lying back. Eilish, are you back with us? Hi, Niall. How are you? Okay, sorry, Eilish. So, okay, so get, getting yeah. back to your, your story, if you can, your sister. Yeah. I'll just condense it as quick as I can. If okay? you, that'd be great, yeah. Yeah, okay, right. She uh, was in the Trinity General uh, dismissed, and then uh, on Halloween night uh, 2002, she yeah. was found collapsed in her kitchen floor, right? Okay. She had had a major breed, so she was uh, gone off to UH. Um, and. Within about two more days, she got another massive bleed and she was vegetable, okay? So um, they had her on life support and I remember, you know, it's a little bit poignant. Uh, this is why I believe uh, there's always hope, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I was driving from Kerry up to Cork to um, say goodbye to her. We were all, there's a load of us in the family, like we were just demented. But anyway, I was driving and I was in a very remote old place when her eldest daughter, Jenny, rang me and she said, Alicia, there's no point in coming up because it's only me, family. That's all she said, just me, her daughter. So I stopped the car anyway, Niall, and um, of course, bawling, crying, and I rang home. And what came on the radio only, come running home again, Katie, because her name is Kathleen. Right? Okay. So anyway, make a long story short, um, she was, that, 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 that night she was on life support and in the morning, they were taking off her um, life support 
and we were all waiting to hear of her demise, okay? But lo and behold, she decided to start breathing on her own, right? She had three small kitties, and eight, nine, and ten at the time, and an elder daughter as well. She was in her 20s, okay? So she started breathing on her own again? She did, yeah. Okay. yeah she came back, but she wasn't fully, you know, uh, with it or anything, but she started yeah. to breathe. So at that stage, anyway, they decided to transfer her to Beaumont to coil the aneurysm, you know, and there was a 5% success rate, 95% failure rate, okay? So they coiled her aneurysm, anyway, and they sent her back down to Tralee, and we were told that was kind of what, oh, God. She was in Dunleary for a while, and she was sent back down to uh, Kerry General to die. We were told she was going to die by Easter, okay? Now, she was and and but I just to clarify, all along doctors were more or less reassuring you that she was going to die. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That there was no hope for her. No hope. She would eventually die, you know, because she was absolutely. What would I say? All her legs, her hands, everything was twisted. She couldn't. She could see us, but she couldn't speak. She couldn't eat. She had to be peg fed. All the rest of it, right? Now, so anyway, one day. I went in to visit her, and this was about three years she was in this state, uh, Niall, okay? And I saw the most beautiful, uh, what was called, a ward sister, and she had a little foot spa, and she was massaging kids' feet. And I could see the little glimmer in her eye, you know? So then, like I said, there's a load of us there, sisters and brothers. We started going in, which literally she had to learn how to speak, how to read, mm-hmm. how to eat. And we went into, like, in play school, you know, where you have these cards. Yeah, literally she had turned into a child again, yeah. Yes, absolutely regressed back into her childhood. So we had to go in, as they say, and she was making fantastic progress. And that beautiful woman, Siobhan Fitzgerald is her name, she just changed Katie's life. Anyway, eventually she got well enough that she was able to talk to us and, you know, and... Um, then we said, you know what, now we'll bring in your mobile phone. You'll be able to contact us and everything, okay? So that was 2003, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, then uh, she spent five years in Clee General Hospital re- recuperating, okay? Mm-hmm. And finally then she was able to go to a place in Limerick for similar people. You know, the acquired brain injury people, they're brilliant, ABI. Yep. And... Um, and she spent a few years in a house with other brain injury people, you know. So, anyway, her next, where she is right now at the moment, Niall, is she's in a beautiful place in Killarney. It's one of the Cheshire homes. In other words, she has, the point you're making is she now has a quality of life again. She's fantastic. And and essentially, doctors had written her off. I mean, it no no disrespect to the doctors. Doctors differ, patients oh, die, as they say. That. Yeah, yeah. But doctors had essentially written her off that this person is going to die. And you're what you're saying to me, essentially, is that if we had, you know, legislation that allowed people to exit, I suppose, that people could make mistakes based on the decisions of doctors. And in fact, they could be wrong. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there is And you would be without your sister now. And she would have, and yeah. you would be without your sister now, who now has a quality of life, who was literally on death's door, 
and had no hope. It's a, that's, that's a very interesting story, and I'm sure it's something that people need to think about when we talk about assisted suicide. Thanks for sharing that with us, Eilish. I, I really appreciate it, and I wish you and your sister well. Loads and loads of people texting in asking, Niall, it would be ridiculous to allow it. I completely agree with Malachi. Somebody else says, Niall, Malachi has no right to take away my choice to die if indeed I wanted to be assisted to do that. Just finally, I want to speak to the first person, by the way, in Ireland who was prosecuted for allegedly assisting someone to die by suicide. Anne has spoken about how she is utterly free of guilt in relation to her friend's death and Gail O'Rourke was acquitted in 2015 on three counts of assisting suicide to our friend Bernadette Ford. Good afternoon to you, Gail. Lovely, hey, Niall. Lovely to talk to you again. And you, and you. How are you keeping? I'm grand, I'm grand. Now, you're involved, by the way, with the Dying with Dignity bill. Um, you are involved with it. Now, what do you reckon in what the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission have said that they want to put in, for example, you know, the likelihood of dying within six months by reasonable medical judgment and uh, putting these caveats into it? Do you agree with them? No, I don't. I, I don't get me wrong. I'm open to, I'm open to, um, I'm open to an ability to have amendments moving forward. But I feel that what this is doing is just pushing it down the line, pushing it down the line, and. In the meantime, be it six months, be it a year, there's many people out there who are literally begging for this right. And what about those people? Like, where do they stand while these politicians and decision makers kick this down the road? So See, I, I, and I know there are many people who are confused by this as well because there's one text here which I'll read very briefly. It says, I don't want to go on the air, uh, but my mother has Alzheimer's she, since 2008. She's now approaching her 96th birthday. She is one of the longest surviving people that I've heard of with this medical affliction, as I call it. She never wanted to end up like this and always had a fear that she would go out one day and forget to come back. She has zero quality of life. And to be honest, you wouldn't let a dog lie in a corner, uh, whether in pain or not. It's not humane to leave someone you love like this. Now, the problem is people confuse this with, because it, with this legislation, that's still not going to answer his call because yeah. his mother would have to make that decision of sound mind themselves. Yeah, you see, that's the, that's the problem. I don't mean it's a problem. It's not a problem. It's, it's something that should be there to, to keep people... With it being... A, two, two doctors have to... Two separate independent doctors have to sign off on this and the person themselves has to be of sound mind and body. That's why, and as much as I respect Malachi and I can't believe I'm listening to your show today and I agree on many of the things he said in relation to the nursing home and the disrespect that's been shown to our elderly. And I do personally feel, and I'm not going to get into COVID, I understand you don't want to talk about it today, but globally it's been the same policy in relation to nursing homes. And I do feel that the elderly have literally, and I don't like to use the word, but it's... Abandoned is probably a better word. I think there's, to be honest with you, I, Niall, I'd go as far as to say they've been murdered because the policies have denied them basic, I mean, even in relation to the lack of testing within nursing homes to determine whether it's... So we, 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 we know what they did at the start. They moved affected people from hospitals into nursing homes at the start. But then they denied testing of the elderly within the nursing homes to determine whether it was bacterial pneumonia, if it was something that could, could have been treated with antibiotics. So they didn't allow them to have the proper treatment. And then these DR and their R do not resuscitate things that are put there. So no family there coming in to keep an eye on them. But that's another story for another day. And I, I'm, yeah. My blood boils in relation to... Yeah, yeah well, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you and Malachi 100. And I'd like you to call me one day in relation to the COVID stuff because we might have about three hours to talk about it because <laughs> there's so many things I'm passionate but, about. But, but getting back to this, and I, I am limited for time. But you don't want anybody else to end up in the situation you were in uh, up there in the four courts be- no. before three judges, essentially, you know, fight pleading for your own uh, a freedom, I suppose. Freedom. Because I mean, you could have gone to jail for a long time. And it was very possible I was going to go to jail. It was it was very possible if I hadn't been if if myself and Bernard hadn't been so diligent in relation to staying by the guidelines. If one of us had even put a toe over the edge, but well, the DPP would have come down on me like a ton of bricks, and I wouldn't be free now. And can I ask you a life. question? 
knowing what you know now and what you went through going to court and standing there thinking you're going to, I'm going to go to jail, I'm going to be in the Doka Centre here very shortly, all right? Knowing what you know now, and thankfully, by the way, you were acquitted and since everybody saw since, would you do it again if Bernadette was in that position and you were... in a heartbeat. I wouldn't change a single thing. And if I had been sentenced and I was living out the next eight to ten years in the Doka Centre, don't get me wrong, that's, that's, to me, that's the most devastating thing I could ever have experienced. But... They'd probably be one of the only alleged criminals in there that could hold their head up high because there's nothing would have stopped me from doing what I did. See, the court, the, the court will argue under Irish law there's a fine line between helping somebody to die and killing somebody and, murder, yeah, and murdering somebody. And, and this is the fine line that we have to define. And we can't... And, and there is an argument there about devaluing people who are sick and elderly and disabled. Wow. And I get wow. that. The, de- the devaluation is not a listening to that person. That's mm. the devaluation. That's taking their dignity from them. That's somebody like Malachy saying, first of all, he keeps using the kill people word. Bernadette putting them what, down what, is what the, the word putting is. them down. I hate that. that I, now, Bernadette, in fairness, Bernadette used to say, put me down and post me home. But that was Bernadette's choice to use that terminology because it was her decision to take her life. Bernadette wasn't killed by anybody. Bernadette had dignity in her death. And Bernadette, was, went, the state went against her, wouldn't allow her to travel to take the test where it's illegal are legal, not illegal. Okay, she, she, think, in the end, just for people who don't remember the story, in 2011, she took a lethal dose of barbiturates. She did indeed, yeah, but yeah. she had no choice. She had no choice but to, to die on her own. And you ordered, and, 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 and to clarify, you ordered the barbiturates for her from I, Mexico. Yeah. Well, she, she did all the online stuff. I sent yeah. off the postal order. Yeah, right. I did. Yeah. Um, I sent off the postal order. But at the end of the day, she had two choices in her head. She could travel to Dignitas and do it surrounded by myself and her nephew, by loved ones doing it in a dignified and controlled manner. But that was taken away from her and she had to die on her own. Niall, she died alone. She died alone, absolutely terrified. And she couldn't she even have you there because if she I knew was, if you were there, you would have been involved. I would definitely go into prison. Oh, yeah. So she had to die on her own. She had to reach for that bottle, drink that, hope it would work. And she died on her own, hours on her own in that home, looking at that bottle, terrified of it not working. So how is that dignified? How is that... So this is bodily autonomy. It is not for being killed by anybody. The, the, the dying with dignity legislation that's been brought in is very strict, very stringent. The six months thing, I mean, you can't, Bernadette wouldn't yeah, But the problem with the six months thing is, right, now they're saying, you know, the likelihood of dying within six months. I could, a doctor can turn around qualified and turn around and say, you know, Gail, Niall, whatever, you have a terminal illness. You're only going to live, you know, four months. And you could live 25 years. I understand so, that. But Bernadette and Mary Fleming would not have been able to evade this legislation because MS is not a terminal illness. It's not class as a terminal illness. So there is no six months. So they wouldn't have been able to avail of this type of dignity uh, legislation. Which so it, they'd be still in the same boat with this bill? They'd still be in the same boat, which is a bone of contention for me. So I don't think there should be the six months thing put on it. I think it should be individual, individual, subjective by that person. And what about age, by the way? I, I know I, I know. in, um, was it Belgium or whatever it is, that there was a 13-year-old child. Now his parents well, made no, the decision no, on his behalf. No, me personally, me personally, I feel, I personally feel that it, can't be, it should not be any younger than 18. Okay. I personally feel that. And I think that there are so many boxes to take. This is something that somebody can just go and say, I'm depressed, I'm fed up with life, I'm this, I'm that. This is a very, very strict set of rules that they're trying to bring in. So this isn't just flipping 
And well, I know. I, I did talk to Philip Nishka there at the start, who, of course, was the founder of Exit International. Yeah. And he, he doesn't put any caveats in. He believes that I should be able to go along to a medical centre and say, give me two tablets there and a glass of water. Yeah. I'm, I'm out of here. Yeah. And he even assisted, as he said, he, he talked about assisting uh, people to die. Let's say, for example, you know, a wife is 70 years of age. The husband doesn't want to live anymore without her. She's going, you know, d- to die, you know, with dignity. And the husband, if he wants to go with her, can go. And he's perfectly healthy. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know whether that's right or not. I do. I, I again. I mean, I love Philip. I've met with Philip a few times, and I love Philip. Uh, Philip has a very, a very different set of ideas in his head, and I don't agree or disagree. He's entitled to his own opinion. I probably wouldn't follow some of the things that he mm-hmm. he he would allow or accept. Whereas myself, it's it's terminally ill. It's it's. It's well, I mean, I, I mean, you look. You saw the pain in Bernadette's face. You saw her her no, her need, her passion to want to die. Yeah, no, it. it was it was black and white. It was she was facing a future of being cared for by the authorities, being hoisted, being washed, being wiped, being fed through a tube, but maybe ending up on a ventilator. I mean, that, she didn't want that end. And who is anybody else to turn around and say, well, I'm so sorry, but tough shit, that does not suit me. That's the end you're having. Yeah. That's the end you're having, and we're just going to let you suffer for the rest of your life, and we're not going to listen to you, and you have no dignity. How can any human being force it on somebody else? All right, well, listen, I'm running out of time. Listen, Gail, lovely talking to you again. Thank uh, Gail O'Rourke, thank you very much indeed. Uh, all right, I'm sure that conversation will go on over the next six months or so, as I said, you know, in a written submission to the Iraqis Justice Committee, the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission have warned and asked for changes to the bill before it goes through the final stages. Uh, they're saying it doesn't need a referendum, so it won't need a referendum. You won't be asked about it. It'll just go through the legislation. And I'm sure we'll have lots more debates about it before it happens. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi award winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hit.